Awesome. Well, I'm just going to begin our, the message this morning. I'm so excited to share um, and to just love what God's doing in our house. And so Jesus, continue to be here with us as we just transition this morning. Amen. Awesome. Well, if you were not here last week, um, I'm glad you're here this week. Um, if you were not here, I encourage you to go on to the message. We kicked off a series that we are calling The House That God Is Building. And so I brought some intro to it. And I'll bring a little recap just because that's what I do. And then we're going to go on. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the type of house and the type of church that I believe God is building um, not just in Maple Valley, not just in this church, but the, the, the church that he wants to build worldwide. And so we get to be a part of that. Um, and I hope you recognize this morning that you are part of something unique. Okay, and I'm not talking about something weird. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the church. There is something so special, special unstoppable, unshakable, and long-lasting then that's called the kingdom of God. And you and I get to be a part of what the Bible says is an unshakable kingdom. That was, couldn't have planned that. That was pretty good. And here's what I know is God's plan A, not plan B after things didn't work, but God's plan A is that he would glorify and advance his kingdom through the local church. That's Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Okay, that's me. So if you were not here last week, just a little recap, is all throughout history, God has been looking for a place where people can come and encounter the presence of God. Okay, all throughout history, God went to his leaders and he said, I want you to build me a temple. I want you to build me a house. And the whole purpose of the Old Testament temple was so that people would encounter the presence of God. All through history, the different temples changed, right? There was David, there was Solomon, um, there, there was the original one. The, the temples looked different. There were certain things about them that were unique, but the plans and the purpose of those temples was so that people would encounter his presence. Okay, and today... I will say this about the local church. God's plan has not changed. God's desire for the local church is that we would still be a place when people come through our doors where they would encounter the presence of the living God. Where we can come in here for an hour, for two hours, however many times we come, and each time we come, we have the opportunity to be impacted by the presence of God. That is what the purpose of the New Testament church is. And I believe this. The Bible says that we, if we are a believer of Jesus Christ, that we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that means that we are mobile, presence-walking encounters. Okay, is that a biblical term? I just made that one up. But what that means is because I have the presence of God inside of me, anytime I go out, to the community, anytime I'm at the grocery store, any interaction that I have with someone else, there's an opportunity because the presence of God is inside of me for that presence of God to get into their life, to get into their heart and change their life. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So 
in Acts 15, and we, we got to understand that what's going on in this time frame in history is a lot of people are getting saved. A lot of people are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And a lot of what the religious leaders in that day knew was changing. And how many of you know people have a hard time with change? I've heard that. Maybe. Right? And I've experienced that. People have a hard time with change. And so they're getting together and they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do with all these new converts? What do we do with these crazy people? And there's a scripture in Acts 15. I read it last week and it says this. And this is a prophecy from like 800 years before. They brought it back up and they said this. It said, afterward, I will return and I will restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those who've called to be mine. Okay, so the idea is God is looking to restore a place where people can encounter his presence and he is saying, I'm going to restore the house of David. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, if you know a little bit about history, you know that David was instructed to bring the presence of God and not limit it to a building, but to bring it wherever they go. And the idea is that as we have an opportunity to be in God's presence, we are going to be changed and we are going to be transformed. Okay, so that's what we talked about. So we're going to get into it over these next few weeks. Um, We talked about blueprints. How many of you know we have the blueprints? Okay, we have the blueprints. God has said, and a lot of the blueprints we can find in Acts chapter 2. God has said in the whole book of Acts, really, but God has said, this is what I want the church to look like. And so as long as we can be good stewards and good workers and build what God wants to build, how many of you know we're going to get a glorious church? Amen? Amen. Easier said than done. Listen, God is the master builder But we are the workers. We read his blueprint. We do what he says. And we will experience the blessing that he has promised. So we have the blueprints. So over these series, we are asking three questions. Number one, what are some new foundations that God wants to establish in my life about what he has called the church to be? That's the first question. Number two, second question we're asking What burdens, or I call them extras, have I put on people that God's grace has not put on them? And number three, what walls or foundations have been built up in my life that need to be torn down so that God can build new ones? Okay, we're asking ourselves those three questions. Today, the title of my message, it's it's all who you know. How many of you know... (laughs) That's so true. You can get great things. You can get great blessings. You can get great access to things if you know the right people. Is there any name? How many of you ever dropped a name? Come on. How many name droppers we got out there, right? Come on. I remember I was with a guy last night, and he was so funny. Actually, my phone broke, and so I got a new phone. And he was just like, yeah, you know, I was Floyd Mayweather's towel guy. I'm like, that's cool. And then he just kept dropping all these celebrities, and I think he was trying to impress me for whatever reason. But, but I started thinking about just this whole idea of it's, it really is, it's not what we know, but it's really who we know. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, 
as we get into this week two of our message, um, how many know there's a lot of great moments in history? Uh, my son, he's 12, one of them is, and he's in American history right now, and he absolutely loves it. I think he loves it because, he, you know, he, he knows I love it. History was my favorite subject, and so he gets to learn about all the wars and the ups and downs, and he's talked to me a lot about these moments in history, and he's like, hey, Dad, did you know, you know, and he starts to describe to me that on December 7th, you know, we had an attack in Hawaii. I'm like, yeah, we did, and he's like, yeah, that's crazy. I'm like, yeah, it is. You know, and they, they learned about um, September 11th, um, 2001. And he goes, well, you, you, you were alive. And I was like, yeah, I, I told him, I actually went down to ground zero, and I got to serve in some of the food tents. And he's like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, anyways, we have all these moments in history, and some good, some bad. Um, but there is no other moment in the history of the world that is more important than the death burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, it is not just a great story. It is not just a great idea. The power and what happened on that day when Jesus rose from the dead changed the past, the present, and the future direction of, of everything. Everything changed the moment Jesus came from the dead. We've got to realize on that day, two main things happened. Number one, when Jesus rose from the dead, the issue of sin was dealt with. Okay? No longer would we have to offer sacrifices. No longer would we have to worry about our eternal salvation or where we would spend eternity because Jesus died and he answered the issue of debt, spiritual debt, and sin. Because of what he did, if, as long as I have a relationship with Jesus, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to spend my forevers because Jesus paid the price. Number two, it's not just about a sweet card that says I get into heaven, amen? But when Jesus rose, it changed everything about how we as humans would interact with God. No longer do I have to go to a priest. No longer do I have to have a priest like in the olden days go and represent me before God. But now the responsibility is you can go to God. You can have a personal relationship with the everlasting Father, the creator of the universe. You can have a personal relationship with him. Those two main things happen when Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, we've got to understand those things. Um, Hebrews says it this way. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, say boldly, boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience has been sprinkled with his blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Okay, so summary. So when Jesus died on the cross, he dies and in the temple was the veil. And I said it last week that he died, he spoke his last words, and the veil was torn. Okay, and what that represents is it was an invitation inviting anyone who has a relationship with Jesus to come 
and begin that relationship. Okay? It was an opening. It was saying, hey, the way that we've done this relationship with God in the past, that was fine, but there is a new way, and now anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can come. Okay, it wasn't reserved for a few any longer. It wasn't just the priests that can come into the Holy of Holies, but you and I, because of our relationship with Jesus, can have a personal relationship where we can get the same power, the same access that those priests got from the beginning of time. I tell you, that is good news. Come on, that is good news. So this morning, as part of the blueprint of the church that God is building, you have direct access to God. Okay, I said that. You don't have to go through someone else. You, have to, you don't have to hope, well, I hope the priest communicates my heart right. Have you ever been misrepresented because you told someone to tell someone and then what they told them was like completely like, oh, what, you said it that way? Jeez, why'd you do that? Wait, I don't have to worry about a priest messing up. Man, you didn't tell him about all the good things I did. Come on. Number two, you have right standing with God. Okay, your sins have been dealt with. They're paid for. Number three, you have an inheritance with God. Listen, there are benefits that come from being a follower of Christ. There is an inheritance, there is a destiny that God wants to open up to you because not anything you've done, but because of what he's done. And number four, you've been given the title. Come on, we got a title. I know a lot of people are looking for titles. You have a title called king. You have a title, or females, called queen. And you have the title called priest. The Bible says you are a king and you are a priest. Listen, it has everything to do with your identity. The Bible says you are no longer identified by your sin, but you are identified by what I call you, and that is a king and that is a priest. Just don't make people start calling you sir. Okay, don't do that. That'd be weird. Just don't make it weird. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this, and it's a familiar passage of Scripture. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the ex excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into your marvelous light. This is a description of what God says about his church. This is a description of what God says about you, okay? And there's some interesting verbiage here, but I want to get to that, and I want to define some of it this morning. The attempt of this scripture is to try to come up with the words that will allow you to wrap your brain around what your true identity is in Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation and like you can't even find the words to say, but you're just like, it was really good. Just trust me, I, I can't even... It was good. So what he's saying is there use some, some different words here. He says the word generation. Listen, there is no words that we have to describe how you look in God's eyes. Okay, he's doing his best right now. He uses the word generation, right? When I, we use the word generation, a lot of times our mind goes to a, a different age barrier, right? Well, I'm the, how many baby boomers we got in the house today? All right, come on. I am part of, the, I think I'm part of Generation X, right? Or Generation Z, right? We have all these titles. We have all these tags. The millennial generation, right? 
I, don't, I might be a millennial. I'm not sure. I've heard two different things. But whatever I am, right? when we hear the word generation, we think age. We think gap. We think, oh, that's me. When we read this scripture and read the word generation, it is not talking about any age barrier. He is not saying, hey, to the baby boomers, you are chosen, but the millennials, you are not chosen. It's not what scripture is saying. What scripture is saying is we look at the word of this, uh, the meaning of generation, and there's two words that come to mind. The first word, when you look at the word generation, the word is kindred. And the second word is race. Okay, the word kindred. Have you ever heard someone say, hey, we have a, you know, kindred spirit? Like meaning we have like, we're same, like you get me? Come on, how many people? You get me. I I just like that guy because he gets me. Okay? The word generation means that. It means that there is a like-mindedness, there is a sameness, there is a, there's a kindredness which unites us as a generation. Okay? So kindred means um, that there is a, indicates a people or a group related by something held in common, such as blood, character, or spirit. Listen, so when we read, you are a holy, you are a chosen generation, it means we have something in common, and that makes us the same generation. The second word is the word race. And again, the Bible talks about how all races, all nations, black, white, yellow, will worship one God. But the word race is not talking about something that is on the external. The word race in the scripture is talking about that there is a new race. Meaning, yeah, we may have all these nations, all these different people groups, but together they form a new race. And what makes them similar is that they believe and they live and they do the same thing based on who they're following. Okay, that we are a new race this morning. Okay, so when we read the scripture, we got to understand that God doesn't look at the external things and say, oh, you're this, you're that. No, he says, you are a new generation. You are a new race. You are a new kindred people that are focused on me. Okay, in order to further understand this, I think we really need to understand that we all have a destiny. Come on, say the word destiny. Destiny. If you're in church, hopefully you hear this word a lot. Okay, destiny is not reserved for a few. Destiny is not reserved to a few chosen special people. Destiny is not reserved to those who have the title pastor. Destiny is something that is given to anyone who calls Jesus their Lord and their Savior. Realize this, because of Jesus, we all have a unique destiny on our lives. God has called us all, okay? God's called apostles. God's God's called pastors. God's called evangelists, teachers, prophets. God has called electricians. God has called salesmen. God has called business leaders. God has called doctors. God has called lawyers. And all of those titles have the same access, the same privilege to approach and begin and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Period. And God wants to use your gift to minister his kingdom through. So just to continue this morning of understanding destiny, we've got to realize just a few things. Number one, that destiny is a reflection of the value that is on your life. Okay, think about that for a minute. If you believe your life has no value, your life has no meaning, you then will have a hard time believing that you have a good destiny in store for you. Does that make sense? Okay, so value goes hand in hand with destiny. If you believe you have high value, then you will believe that you have a great destiny in store for you. So value and destiny go hand in hand. But in order to understand value, we need to know the difference between our identity and our titles. Okay, before Jesus, okay, this is the Old Testament, and I'm not knocking the Old Testament, but before Jesus, the value, okay, remember, value determines destiny. So the value came from their role. Okay, a priest had value because he was a priest. He could be a good priest. He could be a bad priest. He had value because of his role. And because his role gave him value, he then had a destiny that was good, that was favorable. Okay, so if you played that role as a priest, you were then valued. You had a great destiny ahead of you. But unfortunately, their role became their identity. Okay, Jesus, there was 12 tribes, right? And each tribe had an identity. Each tribe had a role. The Levites, uh, what was theirs? To uh, care for the house of God, to lead people in worship. So they were known and they had a destiny based on, oh, they're the the worshipers. Well, there was another tribe, I think the, the Gershonites. You know what their role was? Their role was to set up everything and tear things down. And they were the, they were the getter done. They were the, the ministry of helps tribe, right? And they were known, and their destiny was a reflection of their value as the setter up guys and tear down guys and the ones who can make things happen. Okay, their role gave them value and determined their destiny. Listen, a Gershonite couldn't be a Levite if they wanted to. You're a Gershonite, and that's just what you're going to be, and so that is what your destiny has in store. Okay, fast forward. But now, say now. Now, our value, remember, value determines destiny. Our value comes from our identity regardless of the role that we play in the kingdom. Okay, your value does not come from whether you're a Levite, a Gershonite, a setup guy, or a worship guy, a pastor or a non-pastor, a child care worker or a platform ministry person. Your identity does not give you higher or lower value based on the role that you play. So you are valued, you have a destiny because of your identity, regardless of what you do or the role you play. Okay, because again, we all have calling, we all have a destiny. Ephesians 2.9 says it this way. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of your works or your role, okay, your role, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in. Okay, so, so we look at these words, and the word workmanship, okay, it means tapestry. Okay, we don't, I don't deal with tapestries anymore, but pretty much a tapestry was a, a beautiful like art or like a cloth thing that they would put on display and people were supposed to stand in awe of, hey, that's a great tapestry you got. Um, and so when we look at uh, Greek words in the New Testament, a lot of them have word pictures. And so this word workmanship, it literally means, and I tried to find it, you guys, for a visual, but I, I'm convinced that the fire ate some of our clothes, and so I did not have, I was, but, but the word workmanship means putting on a jacket. And you're like, wow, that's deep, a jacket. You know, I love football, and one of the things I love to watch is, this is really weird, I love to watch when the future Hall of Fame inductees get fitted for their suit coats. Right, because they all get a gold jacket, right? And, the, and we like to see them get, get it on. But I love to see them get fitted for it. Why? Because it was made for them. Okay, they don't take, uh, oh man, Jerry Rice and be like, sorry, Jerry, you're just going to have to wear, you know, uh, Walter Jones's coat. Walter Jones is a lineman. Jerry Rice is a wide receiver. Sorry, buddy, but it's, it's gold, it's yellow, it'll work. No, the word workmanship means that there is like a fitted jacket that was made for you. Okay, so when God says you are his workmanship, it means that there is a specific divine destiny that only is going to look good when you're wearing it. First Corinthians says it this way. It says, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Listen, it matters if you use your gifts. It matters if you attend church. It matters if you pray for your neighbors because no one else can do some of those things that God has called you to do. I say it this way, as much as we need pastors, and we need pastors, we need teachers, we need authors, we need mayors, we need movie producers, we need business leaders to function in their giftings as much as we need pastors to do whatever pastors do. And it's not just preach on Sunday, let me tell you that. Okay, though our roles may be different, our value is the same. Okay, so we're trying to raise kids in God's way. Sometimes we do really good. Other times my wife and I look at each other and we're like, oh boy. <laughs> the other day, and this has happened like 10 times, our sons are giving our three-year-old money. That's good, right? Here, here, Titus, here's two nickels, two dimes. And I'm like, that is so nice of them. And then you know what I realize? They're trading him for a dollar. 
Why? Why? Because two is more than one. Come on. Two is more than one. So he's like, oh, sweet, I get two monies. Listen, if we don't understand our value, we will get taken advantage of by the enemy. Okay. Four quarters has the same value as this dollar. You may look like four quarters, but your value is no different than this dollar. Listen, your, your life may represent this. This crumpled up, dirty, been around the block, done every sin in the book, shouldn't be alive today. You might not look very good. But your value is the same as this somewhat crisp, still somewhat clean dollar. The value is the same. God is looking for a church that is not made up of some pastors and some qualified people. He is looking for a church that is going to walk in the, the revelation of what it means to be a New Testament priest and start walking in the gifts that he's called you to walk in, regardless of if you have a dirty past or a somewhat clean past. You are valuable, and you add value. You are not less valuable because you're not a vocational pastor. And God is wanting to build a church that is not based on hierarchies and not based on titles. God is wanting to build a church that is based on the gifts that he's given them because they all carry value. Man. I might do part two next week or next time. Worship team, would you come? Because there is something God wants to do in our hearts this morning. I have four really good points about a role of New Testament priests, but we're going to get to them a different time. But this morning, as we're talking about the church that God is building, you guys can just play. Right? Uh, I don't know what song, but we might sing it. God is wanting to build a church where titles don't matter, but where value matters. Would you stand up with me this morning? And I'm not, I'm not negating gifts, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, you know, water things down. But here's what I know. If we are going to get the results and be the church that is spotless, that is blameless, that is powerful and effective, it is going to take all of us to walk in our role as New Testament kings and priests. Amen? So would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning, all over this place, we position our hearts to you. Father, we know that you are building a great church. Father, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Father, I just pray for a release of the giftings, the anointings, the personalities, the callings, and the destinies that you've placed on every single person in this room today. 
Father, I ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit. And Father, you would continue to break down mindsets, that you would continue to break down walls that have been unhealthy, that have said, well, I can't serve God because I'm not this. I'm not a pastor. I don't have this training. Father, I pray for a release of the giftings that you have prepared for us beforehand. Father, I declare that each person is, a, is a, like that beautiful coat. Father, is a, a beautiful workmanship prepared by you to do great things. Father, I pray for a release of those things in this season and in this time, in our church, through our church, and in our nation, in Jesus' name. Father, in this next season, as we are looking at the house you're building, Father, I just pray, God. Father, I pray that you would continue to just break some of these things down in our hearts. Father, would you do a deep work in our spirit, Father, today? Father, would you encourage those who said, man, I don't have much value. Father, we just break the lie of the enemy today. Father, I break the lie of the enemy that says my past is too ugly, my past is too dirty, I've done too many bad things. Father, I pray that people this morning and this week would have a revelation of their value in who you say that they are today. Amen. Amen. Can we sing this as we, as we close? Come on, let's declare this out today. Let's sing
And God, I thank you for what you're doing. God, I ask that you would do a deep work in our hearts, that you would go back. And Father, over this next several weeks, Father, that you would truly build things, build foundation, build spiritual walls, Father, that you want. Father, we commit, Father, to be in the type of church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Come on, let's go out of here knowing we're valued, knowing we have a destiny, and knowing that we get to be part of building God's church. Your release. We'll see you next time.